Do you remember when I lived in Bath? Bath, Maine. Bath, Maine, yeah. Yeah, I remember. So I was living in Bath. They uh, they just opened a Frosty's Donuts there. Do you remember when they started to open a bunch of Frosty's Donuts everywhere? Yeah, I do, unfortunately. So there was this girl that worked there, and I always went in there, and I thought she was super cute. Yeah. And she had ca- came into Staples a couple of times where I had worked. Mm. And uh, I finally got the courage to ask her out. Okay. So I went in there. I ordered some donuts. Yeah. And then I said, do you want to go out sometime? Okay. And she said, I'm really uncomfortable right now. Oh, no. That was her response? Yeah. She said she didn't know what to say. And then she was like, I have a boyfriend. Which she probably didn't. She, I think she did have a boyfriend. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's like the go-to is just like, I have a boyfriend. Oh, I... I've been through rejections. I've heard rejections for some reason that is so on the nose. It's so honest <laughs> that it's honest and real, dude. That like I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I was just rejected. Yeah, dude. It was a uh, it was pretty horrible. Did you get your donuts? Like did she have to give you the donuts? Yeah, after I already had them. I already had them. So it was like okay, right smart. at the end. When I was so you're there. like standing there holding these sugary, shitty jo- donuts, and you're like, do you want to go out? Yeah. And she was like, I feel uncomfortable. Did you ever go to that Frosty's again? No. Wow. I, I, I wish I had more to say, but that's like, I'm not going to lie to you. That's That's a hard rejection. But at least that's a rejection that there's no bullshit around it. It was devastating. How old were you at the time? 21. 20 21 because i just gotten back from colorado yeah at this age i feel like you hear that you can kind of bounce back from it a little quicker but that's still i was i felt pretty low that's still so i I walked out into that parking lot into the shitty pontiac grand cam and drove home i uh, no ac even (laughs) even if i heard that rejection today I, I, I would still be, it, it wouldn't devastate me, but for probably a day, I would be like, I was, I was depressed for, for a day. I just felt like the well, biggest, that's, that's good, man. You were only 21 at the time. The biggest loser on the planet. It might've affected me for longer. I, I just can't remember, you know, so, so long yeah, ago that's, now. That's a hell of a rejection. That's a gut punch. That's, but I, I will say to whoever that girl is. At least she was honest. She was honest, yeah. You know, I, I guess I would rather have girls just be honest like that than try to let... Because I feel like when girls try to let you down easy, they let you down harder, you know? And to let her off the hook, I was super awkward, and I was very uncomfortable. What did you say after me. she said that? Did you uh, just pull out your dick? No, I did not pull out my dick. I, okay, I, I good choice. That, I didn't have that kind of courage yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened um i just remember just like being like okay did and you i'm gonna ask you a question did you have a moment where you like kind of blacked out like was it yeah, that oh, kind of yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah definitely yeah because there's sometimes like things are said to you and I'm, I'm not even saying this is just exclusive to to like asking out a girl but sometimes things are said to you where like you almost like close your eyes and you shake your head and you black out. I went outside my body for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're just watching yourself and you're, you're almost like 
what a pathetic loser. And then you have a realization like, oh my God, that's me. Dude, you know what? <laughs> no one uh, feels empathy for young dudes. No, no, which I, I, I guess the argument can be made either way, whether they should or they shouldn't, because there are a lot of young dudes doing really fucked up. Yeah. Which we were never, you know, those guys. But uh, but I'll say, like, there are things I, I, I said and did as a young guy that if I was confronted with now, I would be like, oh, yeah, who was that guy? It know? was it was a train wreck of a situation. I just didn't even know what to do or what to think. And this was after I had uh, a dated a girl that had cheated on me. Oh, that was in the Air Force. Oh, yes. Okay. This that is fucked all... two guys. So this. And that's, that's how I, we that relationship ended. So this had a bigger effect on you because of the context of your life. Because, oh, yeah. because if, if you're just a guy like out there, like, you know, hitting on girls that hurts, but it's the kind of hurt you can shake off in the situation. I was already on a losing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you have to like work yourself up to be like, do you, do you want to go out sometime? Yeah. And she, she had come into Staples a couple of times that I had talked to her Mm -hmm. and I thought it was going well. (laughs) Turns out I was wrong. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's a, that's a hit, man. Yeah. That's a hit. But you know what? We all take hits, bro. We all take hits. Broadcasting straight from Big Rock Candy Mountain, I'm Zachary Lehman. My partner in crime is... Taylor Berryman. How can people find you, Taylor? They can find me on Instagram as the underscore poptimist or on Twitter as the poptimist. Is that DA? Yes. Okay. And then Facebook, just my name, Taylor Berryman. You can find the Poptimist podcast on there. It's streaming on all the major whatevers. And you can find me on Twitter at writing Lehman and uh, just Zachary Lehman on Instagram and uh, Facebook, all that good stuff. And uh, the podcast, Man of Science, Man of Faith, we're on. Everything, Instagram, everything, Facebook, yeah. uh, so find us, like us. We actually share real shit on there. Yes. You know, extra content. We're not just bullshitting around. We're serious. All right, so what is your pick this week and why? What are we talking about? Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino by Arctic Monkeys. An album. An album, yes. yes. It's my pick because, well, for one, it's their weirdest album, and it's a left turn in their career. It was right after... Their gigantic success of AM, which was a huge smash, mm-hmm. uh, finally broke them in the US because before that they were big. Every album that they've released in the UK has gone number one. Mm-hmm. And they play like stadiums everywhere else, but in America they weren't quite there yet. What year did this come out? So uh, Tranquility Base came out in 2018. Very recent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And this is uh, your pick. I like Arctic Monkeys. I've never been huge on them i don't like listen to their albums when they drop but you know if they're on the radio i'll i won't change the station um so this was new for me I'm, so i'm curious like what you're gonna have to say about it yeah so why it affected you as much as uh, you say it did some other reasons why i picked the album was a i think their mastery for this album just in terms of recording 
Um, the musicality of it mm-hmm. is just next level. Alex Turner was really inspired by uh, jazz and a bunch of weird stuff like Serge Gainsbourg, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a piano for his 30th birthday. And he was kind of fiddling around on that and when he did like his side project, The Last Shadow Puppets, with this guy, Miles Kane. And then it started to come around to time to do the new Arctic Monkeys album. And he had just done this record with uh, this artist named Alexandria or Alexandra Savior, something like that. And he was making demos with her. They made it at his place on his, uh, with, with just like acoustic guitars and shit like that. So he really liked the process of demoing songs mm-hmm. at his house and then finishing them at the studio, mm-hmm. doing overdubs and shit like that there after they've already been kind of fleshed out. Mm-hmm. So once the piano got added into the mix, it really changed everything. It's a very divisive album for them. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are split on it. And it's because partially it's not like a rock album, like that no. big rock sound. It's a big no. contrast to their last record, which was what they they started getting huge for. Yeah. I was going to say, um, again, like I, I have, a, I mean, Arctic monkeys are just so huge, like, especially for our generation. So I know what they sound like and listening to this album really surprised me. I don't think I had heard a single track from this yeah. album and it did not sound, it sounded like Arctic monkeys, but, uh, not traditionally what we hear from them on the radio. Their no. big hits, you know, no. it's a weird, weird album. And I'll say it's actually listening to it. I was surprised how relevant it is to a lot of what's happening, which, yes. you know, the big cultural conversations. I was really surprised. I'll say this too, before we dive into it, this album is, uh, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot, but damn, it can put you in a bad mood. It's a slow burn of an album and it's a pretty dark album. It's very, yeah, I, I, I'll say, uh, you know, if you have any sort of, negative opinions about the world or people in general i mean that's what this album is oh yeah i mean he's we'll get into the specific song but i mean he literally has a lyric talking about looking at the earth from outer space it's a very there's a lot of like he's talking a lot of shit on this album a lot of shit about himself about people about the way people are about technology about progress but anyway we'll get into that so well for for starters just to, to kind of put it in more context mm-hmm. this is supposed to be a concept album too mm-hmm. and this is their first concept album that they've done when I first originally saw that it was gonna be like a concept record and that it was supposed to be space I wasn't very excited about it just because I'm like how many fucking times has that been done right right I just thought it was really unoriginal and really uncreative yeah it's like here we go here's the David Bowie shot. Exactly. You know, everyone's gonna take it once. <laughs> that's that's what I th- I thought it was gonna be, but the album to me is really an allegory for him living in L.A. because it's yeah it's an Englishman living in Los Angeles, being an entirely different culture. It's the worst aspects of American culture is what yeah. this album talks about, and it, it adds to uh, the level of detachment he's talking about in a lot of these songs, which I guess we should. Which it's like you're a man on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. he's looking at it kind of removed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he does, the thing I appreciate about him too in the writing, like if you look at the lyrics separate from uh, listening to the songs, he doesn't forgive himself. No, He doesn't call himself better than anyone. In fact, he says some pretty harsh shit about himself mm-hmm. and about this detachment. And sometimes I think he's talking about a certain apathy he feels and he's acknowledging that that is part of the problem. 
Well, he said he did a lot of this album in isolation, going back to uh, the, re- you can tell. the recording of you this. Can tell. This was a, also controversial among fans because he recorded most of this on his own. So Alex Turner's a singer, the guitar player, he plays piano on this, but a lot of this album he's playing bass. There's, I think, a couple songs where he's playing drums or he brings someone else mm-hmm. to play drums at his house because he recorded on a Tascam 188. Uh, tape machine Mm -hmm. but yeah it's definitely sounds very isolated you yeah you can tell this is like uh these are the sort of thoughts i mean they're put through the brilliant lens of a talented artist but these are the sort of thoughts you have when you're going through this period of change like you had some big life change whether it was a relationship ending or a job massive success massive success that's what this is, because every time like those big things happen in life, you always have a period where you're alone with your thoughts, and this feels like it's that it's a spotlight put on that period for mm-hmm. him, which is an uncomfortable period for a lot of people to be so open about. But uh, all right, so we'll, let's get into it. First track off this album, "Star Treatment." Star Treatment, which uh, I'm sure you have a lot to say. I was gonna say, uh, I'm not again. I'm not a musician, so. Anything I say, I'm a, I'm a layman. Uh, but when it starts off, this sounds like what you would hear sitting in the lobby of a fancy hotel. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah, well, it starts off with those jazzy hits and kind of a mixed yeah. meter. And you really feel like you're sitting in, the lo- in a lobby. Musically very advanced. Mm-hmm. So, Star Treatment. What do you, when, by the way, the titles for these songs are almost as important as the songs themselves. What did you think about Star Treatment? There's a few lines. It's obviously a very personal song. There are a few lines that stuck out to me. What do you think he said well, in this song? It's the first, it being the first song on the album, the first lyric breaks the fourth wall right away. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be one of the strokes. I love that. I wrote that down. Yeah. And he said when he was uh, writing it, this was like the first song he wrote for the album. And he, when he was writing it, he thought, I'm going to change that lyric to something else because it's a little too on the nose. I love that it's on the nose, though. Yeah. it because it, I love that. It's the, And there's several times on this album where he does break the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Well, yeah, a lot of... Again, this is kind of jumping ahead, but there are a lot of songs on here where... And this is really interesting from a writing perspective. Sometimes he's literally singing about the motivation behind a song. He's not even singing. It's like that moment as an artist, you always have that moment where you're like, whatever you're making, you're like, this is what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. It's almost like for a few of these songs, he didn't go beyond that. He's like, fuck it, I'll just sing about that stuff, you know? Well, it's funny you mention that. Another interview that he had, he was talking about how when he was writing this song, he was watching a lot of documentaries about making movies. And he said he oh, wanted to write a song about songwriting. Interesting, Okay. Uh, there was one other lyric that jumped out at me. And another thing I really like about the writing here, it's so ambiguous in parts. Vividly ambiguous. It's, and uh, again, I listened to the album, and then I also looked at uh, the lyrics. If you read the lyrics, this feels like a poetry book. It has that sort of uh, ambiguousness. It's very, these songs are very short, most of them. Most of them are three minutes or under. And so when you read them, they feel like poems. They're very, very brief. There's no real melodies on the album either. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
the there's only one real song that that kind of has like a chorus to it. There's no that's chorus. Right. It's like that's what's so impressive about it is he can write those choruses, but he was doing something musically impressive and also committing to an idea. Mm-hmm. Like he commits to the idea and he just says, "Fuck it." Whether this is going to be good or this is going to be bad, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, there was uh, one other lyric I wanted to talk about from Star Treatment. He says, uh, and I have no idea what this means, but I love it. I think it's beautiful. I just wanted to be one of those ghosts you thought that you could forget. That's interesting. That's There's so many things he could be saying there. I think he's talking about himself. I think he is. Well, yeah, I think he is too. Because... Um, I think he's looking back at his success. He talked about how originally he wanted this to be the first single, which they ended up not releasing a single for this album. I mean, they did with four out of five and they did tranquility based hotel and casino as singles, but they weren't released prior to the album because he wanted it experienced all in one shot. So this Mm -hmm. is the first song that you're hearing. And he said he wanted to do a music video and have uh, like the AM version or the younger version of himself in the back back seat. Oh wow! Yeah. So that, I think that's kind of what what the it's referencing. Yeah, I mean, I think again that line's so ambiguous. He could be talking about so much because on a personal level, you could say in a relationship, that's who you want to be. You could say, artists, if you're looking for success, that's what you want to be because it almost immortalizes you. You know, because if you're just a ghost, just a figure to somebody, whether it's because you're a past relationship or you're a successful artist. Totally. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, looking, people wanting you to be a certain way, because he played this char- like this rock and roll character on their last album, where he was, you know, he had the slick back hair, leather jacket, all that shit. And I don't think he feels like that was necessarily a natural fit for him. Well, he's almost, to me, he's almost saying with that line, he's almost like, I wish I could be that. Because again, if we're referring to ghosts, like, Let's take musicians, for example. You know, what is what are the most successful musicians? David Bowie. They're ghosts. They become perfect in our minds because they're not a, they're not around on a day-to-day basis to show us their flaws. Don't you know an apparition is a cheap date? That's, <sighs> that's another like lyric. That. So he, I think it, it's almost, this song is almost him being like, I want to be that, but I'm not gonna. I'm around. Good and bad. You know what I mean? Well, to me, it sounds like this uh, this particular song or this character, it being a concept album, is it's like the lounge singer at a bar, mm-hmm. and he's kind of talking to you at the end of the night while he's smoking a cigarette at the bar. Yeah, that's good. Um, so then we get into the second song, "One Point Perspective." Again, One, very poetic. Yes, which is in reference that the title is in reference to a shot that Stanley Kubrick uses a lot and also Wes Anderson in their movies. Oh, I, I did not know this. Yes. So um, he's definitely very influenced by, by film on this album. He was talking about how this particular work was the first thing that was really um, all of his other influences of what he was reading, what he was watching bled into it. Mm-hmm. So he was reading a lot of like, science fiction st- short stories books um he was watching uh jean-pierre melville movies he's a french director um and then this other director fellini and there's yep, this fellini, eight and a half it, this was a huge influence on this album he yeah. he named that movie a bunch of times in interviews yeah and he talks about how 
at the the center of each one of his movies, there's like a a jazz club at the center of it, or maybe that was Melville. I can't remember mm-hmm. which one of the. I know it's like a foreign director. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so film is definitely an influence, which introduces. I have I have a a potential theory about this album too. I think that it is a, like a Hollywood movie, almost in the way that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is. Mm. And this album is like a movie and there are these characters and like Alex Turner is playing a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he breaks the fourth wall sometimes. Yeah, he does kind of describe himself as a as a character. And I would even say that it reaches a point where the hotel, I mean, we'll talk about this in a fur- in a one of the songs where it's actually mentioned, but the hotel becomes a character. Yes, absolutely. The hotel's a character. He's a character. And again, that's... That's why it feels very that like that first song is perfect because the fact that it opens and you just feel like you're sitting in this world he's creating. Yeah, you know, you're being introduced to it. Uh, yeah, one point perspective. Uh, one line I loved, which this song to me, it sounded like it's a guy lost in his own head. And one uh, great line was, "I've played to quiet rooms like this before." I thought that was so good because I, I mean, that can be literally him just being like. I've been at this point before where I'm alone with my thoughts, you know? And he's just there in that room. Quiet room. Writing. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I, I think that's what it, it's in reference to, is yeah. him being alone, recording all this stuff, not knowing what he's going to do with it, because it's so radically different from what they've done before. And again, it's it's just like we talked about before, this whole album feels like a spotlight on those transitionary periods in life where you're alone. And that line just completely... I mean, describes that feeling you have when you're alone with your thoughts. You're basically having conversations with yourself, you know? That's definitely true, yeah. Uh, so then we get into uh, my favorite titled uh, song, American Sports. Wait, I have more to say about one Oh, what do you got? Hit me, hit me. So there were some lyrics that really jumped out to me in this one. Um, I like the bear with me, man. I lost my train of thought. And he, oh, yeah. he repeats that once in the first verse and once in the last verse. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very Bukowski-esque. Yeah. That's another influence on this album. And he mentions Bukowski at one point. He does. And then uh, I fantasize, I call it quits, I swim with The Economist. I think that's about him thinking like, do I have enough money to yeah. quit this? Yeah. Um, this one is kind of like uh, you're coked out in a bathroom at this, <laughs> at this place. Yeah. And you're talking about all the shit you don't want to do or all the shit you have. Yeah. And how you don't want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anything else about that song? I also like They Come Out of the Cracks Thirsty for Blood. I feel like that's him definitely talking shit about Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, this guy is not a fan of no. LA. Which, no. again, <laughs> he talks more about that. But uh, American Sports. American Sports. Which, by the way... This might be the most depressing song on the album. This... What do you think American sports means? Okay, so to me, American sports is... This This song put me in a funk, man. Because American sports, I think what he's saying is he's basically calling life a sport. Interactions. Like, he's literally taking a step back and looking at just the bullshit we do. The dating, the jobs, the... Like, we treat it all so seriously, but the way people are, they're so empty that it's just passing time. It's entertainment for them. It's sports. That's what I got from it. 
This was, uh, yeah, this is the most depressing song on the album. He kind of sounds like Dracula on this one. Oh, really? I think so, oh. yeah. I think he, he sounds kind of like vampiric. Yeah. Well, he, he talks about a lot because he's, he talks about, uh, 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 one lyric is, uh, breaking news, they take the truth and make it fluid. Um, he has a lot of lines like that where it just feels like this is what he's doing. He's talking about life in general as if like life has become a sport for people because the news isn't serious. We, we don't take relationships seriously. We don't take friendships seriously. We're just going through the motions to entertain ourselves. We're not having any real discussions. We're not making any real progress. We're not talking about real issues. It's just bullshit and again it, it it sounds like a thought you have when you're in those transitionary periods and you're alone with your thoughts and you're just thinking about all the shit you have to do to get back to wherever you were before you're almost going it's not even worth it to go back to that well i have something interesting to tell you about this song um hit me the one lyric, um, I never thought in a million year that I meet so many Lolas. It sounds like lovers, but it's Lolas. Do you know why he chose that? The first thing that comes to my mind is the song by the Kings. <laughs> is that really it? No. Okay. So <laughs> I was hoping it was. Lola is a shortened version of uh, the name Dolores, which is in Spanish, it means sorrows. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So I never thought in a million year that I'd meet so many sorrows. Yeah. Which makes it even more depressing. It is. It's, it, it, it's a depressing song, man. It really, really is. Oh, and uh, I was going to say this, my first thought when this song ended, I thought about that line from Watchmen um, said by the comedian right before he dies. It's a joke. It's all a joke. I felt like that was this song. It was him looking at the world and looking at life and going, it's a joke. And that's depressing. There's no positive message after that. Well, when the song ends, it says, and all of my most muscular regrets explode behind my eyes like American sports. Yeah. So to me, that's like he's thinking of all of, all of his regrets of the dating and the career and all the bullshit, all the vapid bullshit that yeah. people chase to distract themselves yeah. from. Because sports are like a distraction. Right. That's what I think he's saying. A pastime. Yeah, because sports, when you think about it, they're they're just bullshit. They're silly games. You know what I mean? And I, I, I'm i not saying I'm against sports. I watch football. I, I like sports too. But I think he's saying, like, we've just turned life into one big sport. And it's you – when you – you know, he talks about the news. He talks about relationships. And I think he's saying people take this shit about as seriously as they take sports. They pretend they're very passionate because if you talk to people who are big fans of a team, whether it's football or baseball, they get very mad. They get very serious. They have big opinions. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It has no effect on their life. So I, this is a depressing one, man. But I do love this song. Yeah. It's incredibly well written. Very poetic. Yeah. So... Next up, I Tra guess... Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Yeah, title song, man. So right from the get-go, Jesus in the day spa filling out the information. Oh, I love that. I think he's saying that <laughs> nothing is sacred anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Jesus is uh, almost like a pedestrian. He's just 
one among us now. Yeah. What if God was one of us? What if God was one of us? <laughs> there was a line in this that I wrote down because I said, uh, this is one of those lines, if you write it, you should just be given all the money in the world because you are beyond talented. He says, uh, kiss me underneath the moon's side boob. Yes. I mean, what the fuck? That's awesome. <laughs> well, to me, what that means, and it, and it has this whole feeling throughout the whole album, the reason that I compared it to this is a movie being made, It's have you ever seen like an old movie that's from like the 80s in 4K or something like that, like Jaws or Batman or any of those, and mm-hmm. you've seen it on like a high-def TV? Yeah. You can see that it's in a movie studio. And I feel like that's what this whole album is. Mm. It's like there's this rocket ship, but if you get up close to it and you knock on it, it's just cardboard. Oh, right. I like that. I like that. Um, another line I really liked from this was, uh, do you celebrate your dark side, then wish you'd never left the house? That is truly like maybe the most representative lyric of modern times. And I think what I took from that is he's saying... He's living this artistic life. He's doing exactly what he wants to do. But pursuing something you're passionate about and living this sort of, let's say, philosophical life, it's filled with pain. The good comes with the bad. So to me, he was almost saying, sometimes I wish I didn't go on this journey, you know? Sometimes you do wish it's almost, it's a version of ignorance is bliss. I think Mm -hmm. that's what I got from it. Well, he also talks shit on this song too. Um, Mama got her hair done, just propping out, popping out to sing a protest protest song. song. Yep. That was a good one. (laughs) And to me that that's him like commenting on Instagram culture where it's, it's like uh, almost disrespectful. I feel like to some of these causes when people are just posting on social media, yeah, they're getting their hair done. They're making sure they all, they look good when they Mm -hmm. go out all this shit. Well, and again, he's pointing out the vapidness of it. Yeah. Like that. It's just bullshit that, and again, it goes back to what you said about nothing being sacred. I think that's what he's saying. He's like, religion isn't sacred. These causes that are supposed to be important are not sacred. It's like people... Except technological advances really bloody get him in the mood. Yeah. Um, It's like he's saying that people... Almost, this is very dark, but it's almost like he's saying people just have an inherent toxicness that they infect everything with. Again, very dark, but it's a dark fucking album. Very dark, (laughs) yeah. Um, I had a question for you about one of the lyrics for this one. All right. Because... He says, uh, where I ponder all the questions where I just managed to miss the mark. And then in the chorus, it says, good afternoon, tranquility, base hotel and casino, Mark speaking. Please tell me how I'm going to direct your call. What do you think the significance is of him saying just managed to miss the mark and then his name being Mark? That was interesting. I did write that down because, well, again, this is part of making the hotel a character, but... I don't know the significance of Mark, but I think with that line, he's saying he can ask all these questions and he can make all these observations, but he has no answers. Yeah. And that's depressing in and of itself. Yeah, that's very true. He, he does. He asks a lot of questions, but there are no answers. There are no straight answers because nobody has it. That's a life. Yeah. And I feel like that's like the sort of depressing realization he's 
tackling here. So, next song, Golden, Golden Trunks. Trunks, another great song title. Yeah, it's such great imagery. This one is because he's basically Okay, so for me, this song, cuz some of these I was like, I have no idea what this is about. To me, Golden Trunks was about he's almost describing the chaos of his mind and he's putting it all in the physical realm. That's why he's describing things in his head as basically countries or businesses. He says, my psyche subcommittee. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later he talks about... a scary voice. Yeah, the leader of the free world reminds you of a wrestler with uh, tight golden trunks. And I think he's setting himself up as the leader of this free world, his mind. I was almost... I just... I kept picturing like a boxing match and there's just chaos everywhere. There's people yelling there's people in charge of you there's people telling you to do certain things and he's that boxer going into the ring interesting well that's what i took from it that he he that one that's actually about donald trump well it did make me think of donald trump too (laughs) because if there's one president who would come out wearing tight golden trunks he's got himself a theme tune dude yep got himself a theme tune so what was he okay so tell me more about this because i was not thinking about it politically well, it wasn't political. Okay. Um, I think that's just more of an observation of what the situation is. Because he even said that he feels like that lyric overshadows the rest of the song. When people hear that, they automatically think of Donald Trump. But the yeah. song to me is really about love and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And being afraid of that vulnerability because you don't know how it's going to go because you've been burned already. Right. You know how it starts. You know how it ends. You've been right. through the motions. Right. Musically, this song kind of reminds me of uh, when you go to Bowser's Castle and Castle in Super Mario. Okay, I'm not a video game guy. So. Yeah, do you know that? Do you know that Taylor? You know, yeah. music, like the, the yeah, yeah. Fucking so that's nerds. what it kind of reminds me of. A couple of fucking nerds in here. Uh, yeah, I like that song. Um, again, I took it very personally. That's how I took it. Was it was basically him taking the chaos of his mind and sort of putting it in physical form through a lot of metaphors. Bendable figures with a fresh new pack of lies. That's a great line. It is a great line. Anything else about Golden Trunks? No. Next up, four out of five. Four out of five. This is uh, the radio single for the album. Which they did a music video for too. uh, Before I even listened to the song, all I could think about was uh, Meatloaf. Two out of three. I don't know it. Two out of three ain't bad? No, I don't know it. Oh, okay. That's all I thought. I thought maybe he, he was trying to top Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, so this one, this one was, I, you can tell me what your research says, but uh, to me, this was pretty straightforward. This is talking about the digital age. To me, that basically the only progress left is going to be done by technology. Basically, we're becoming irrelevant. Interesting. That's what I took. That could be completely wrong. What I took from it was, well, this character that's singing singing this one is like a salesman. Yeah. And he's trying to sell you on the fact of how great this place is. Right. He's talking about it has four out of five stars. Which is interesting of. that it's not a five out of five. No. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like critics and shit, they rarely give a perfect score. Yeah. So a four out of five is like a perfect score. Well, he even says four out of five. He says something like that's unheard that's of. That's unheard of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so even just getting a good review is hard. And it's, it's just kind of funny because he, 
he basically is describing the moon in this one and what it's like to be there. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the information action ratio mm-hmm. is that supposed to be the name of the taqueria that's on the moon that got the four out of five stars. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And this is uh, one that you said this was, they did a music video and stuff. This is one of the few songs that actually sounds like it has the closest thing to a chorus. Yes. Which I would still even take it, argue. Take it easy for a little while. Yeah, I would Come still even argue he never quite goes full full in on choruses. Yeah. It might be mentioned a couple times. but uh, So then, uh, oh God, these song titles actually get better and better. Because then we got the world's first ever monster truck flip. Yes, that right? front flip. Front flip, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which this again was, this again to me was very much about technology. It's about technology, but what I took from it is it's about um, the media. Okay. Because that was a title that he uh, he read somewhere and he said he couldn't resist clicking on it. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a clickbait. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I do. You'll not- push the... the button and we do the we rest. do the rest yeah and it's wow. also kind of like beach boysy the way that it sounds like a pet yeah. sounds kind of song i didn't even think of that but that makes total sense mm-hmm. the exotic sound of data storage and it also talks about uh bastard latin that's the best thing for it mm-hmm. which just the i mean you know this from working in the media the way that you have to churn out those stories oh yeah bastard latin yeah and you have to uh this is definitely this song title would be a fucking clickbait headline. Oh yeah. Even on like a serious news story. Mm -hmm. Um, then we get into science fiction. Yes. Which I like this song a lot. This was one of my favorites. I think this, this might be my favorite song on the record. Yeah. This is, uh, it has so many good lines. Oh, I was going to say, uh, you have the lyrics printed out, right? Yeah. Can you go to the last lyrics from that song? The last few lines. This is that last section. I didn't write them down, but I was like, this is why this might be my favorite song. So I tried to write a song to make you blush, but I have a feeling that the whole thing may well just end up too clever for its own good. The way some science fiction does see, and this was, we were talking about this. This is why I think some of these songs, again, it's that feeling of, I, I think Stephen King wrote this maybe in misery I think I could be wrong about that, but he wrote about it's, it's about a novelist and he has this brilliant idea, all these things going on in his head. And then when he actually sits down to write the first page, there's this realization that whatever's in his head will never come out perfect. Whatever he writes will always be worse than these grand ideas he had in his head. And this felt like a song where he was saying, fuck doing the actual song. I'm just going to, all these grand things in my head. That's what I'm going to sing about. I'm not going to take the next step and try to do the version of this that talks about all these things. I'm just going to talk about them. It's funny that you say that because he had writer's block going into this as well. You can tell. (laughs) You can tell. Because he's just writing whatever, you know? He's literally, it just feels like stream of consciousness. Very. Like he can't figure out what the song, how to talk about the things he wants to talk about in the song. So he's just talking about that. Well, he even says at one point, um, let me see if I can find it here. Oh, I love... uh, he says, one lyric I liked was, uh, I want to stay with you, my love, the way some science fiction does. I mm-hmm. like that. I like that. I want to make a sexy or a simple point about peace and love, but in a sexy way where it's not obvious. Yeah. yeah. 
And he's even talking shit about himself. He is, yeah. <laughs> I love this song, man. Musically, it's really cool, too. I love all the, uh, all the weird keyboard sounds. It really sets the mood. It's very spooky. It is. It's a very, yeah. um, very kind of Lynchian to bring David Lynch back in again. That's what this album kind of reminds me of. Cause I was going to say the whole album is very Lynchian. Hyper-realistic, surreal moments. Mm-hmm. And he, you fuse back and forth between the two when he breaks the fourth wall and then he goes back into space. Yeah. Yeah, this whole album for me is very Lynchian. David Lynch actually does make music. And it's very different sounding than this. But these feel like lyrics that David Lynch writes. Yeah. Very ambiguous, very dark, very cinematic. Uh, so then we get into... Okay, so the next song, I have no fucking clue what this song is about. I'm just going to admit that. It's uh, She Looks Like Fun. I have no fucking clue what this song is about. So what I take from this is okay. this is about social media, and this is someone scrolling through an Instagram feed. And just being like, she looks like fun. She looks like fun. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Cheeseburger. It's all the pictures. Bukowski. He keeps mentioning random things that would be like interests or things you would see in a picture. It's shit that someone is posting online. Yeah. That's good. I like that. I, I was kind of thinking that also he, uh, this will play into the next song, but he gives a shout out to Wayne Manor. Is he talking about Bruce Wayne in this song? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an, another thing. I think it's like a party on, well, he says on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, and they're at this party. What a great opportunity to take an Instagram pic. Yes. Doesn't he also not say New Year's Eve? He says NYE. He says NYE. You're right. Very weird. That was a weird detail. That stuck. I'm like, why did he do that? Because it's an Instagram feed. Right. Oh, right. Because if you're writing it, you wouldn't put New Year's Eve. You'd be like NYE. Yeah. Ooh. So it's a lot of... Uh, just like social media speak, he even goes on, you know, she looks like fun. Bukowski, it's like her posting a picture of a book, dog sitting, mm-hmm. screwballing, shit like that. And I, I like the lyric, finally there's a place where you can wag your tongue. Baby, why can't we all just get along? Dance as if somebody's watching, because they are. Oh, yes, I had that written down. I love that lyric. I love Because that can be so many things. Yeah. You know, again, technology, we're always being watched. So then uh, we go into the next song, which is a direct Batman reference. Well, hold on. Before what we go on to the next song. Hit me. This makes me think of coronavirus in the bridge. Okay. No one's on the streets. We've moved oh, it yes. on all online as of March. That's true, yeah. It's, uh, that's spooky how relevant that is yeah. to what's going on now. Because he's basically, again, he's talking about we're only living digitally. We made the change in March. What the fuck happened in March this year? Yeah. It was the end of March. Mm-hmm. And now, if you take these lyrics, he's talking about this world of technology and disconnection as a negative thing. If you fucking turn on the news, there are literally pundits talking about what he's talking about, but in a positive way. They're like, no, it's good. It's good we're living digital lives. It's good we don't talk to each other. And then the final chorus... It's it changes, you know. She looks like fun. Key changes, so it's the song has a musical change. Rethinking, new order, and to me that's like thinking about how you're gonna post it and how you want it to look Ugh. and change, like organizing all the pictures. He really, I feel like that's what it's about. It's really capturing that ugliness of uh, self consciousness because whoever is posting, they want people to think she looks fun. Now that you said this. 
this might be the most depressing song yeah. on the album. Because it's self-conscious. Oh, it's so depressing. And again, it's it's just about like just the the mundaneness of this bullshit we do. Scrolling through other people's pictures, ninety nine percent of them who we will never even speak to. Yeah, and they're all bullshit. They're all bullshit. None of them are genuine. They're all set up with this very intended look. You know. Well, it's going back again to talking about it being like a, this is a movie set. You get get up close and you see the rocket ship is not. You see, yeah. And you see it's cardboard. Bullshit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Up close, it doesn't look as good. And I, I would say another thing I'll mention about the album overall, as it progressed, I felt like the songs got more and more ambiguous. Because by the time we got to She Looks Like Fun, and then there's uh, three other songs we'll talk about, it was getting more ambiguous for me. Where I was like, man, I, do, I can't pinpoint what these are really about. So, next song. Or you got, you got another one? Yeah, Bat Phone. Bat Phone, baby. Great title. Great title. Which, what, what is this about? You tell me. So I think this is about relationships with cell phones. Mm-hmm. And how, like, Bat Phone, of course, in the old Batman TV series. That's he how had they got that, a hold of him. That red phone that would ring whenever Batman was needed. Yeah. When there was an emergency. God, the Bat Phone really got retired, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Turn in the bat symbol eventually. Fuck. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's what it's about. It's all about our relationships with cell phones and how they've become such a huge part of our life. Well, I thought too, this was the song where I felt like he called out Hollywood in the most direct way. The bullshit of Hollywood. How so? There's a line... I hope I can read my own handwriting, but he says, uh, I launch a fragrance called integrity. I sell the fact that I can't. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, what the fuck? How many celebrities can you think of that that fucking applies to? He talks a lot of shit on this album. I feel like that's one of the things that really breeze past a lot of people with this. Um, I think in terms of their career, this is eventually going to be seen as one of their best albums. Mm Mm-hmm. He also says, and this plays into, again, the last song we talked about, all the other songs, he says life became a spectator sport. Yep. And that's what it feels like because we're living more and more through phones. Mm-hmm. And now we've, this album is actually, if someone was going to listen to it, now would be the perfect time because, again, the things he is talking about, and he's talking about them in a very artistic, ambiguous way, they are things that are literally being talked about by much less nuanced and artistic people on the TV every fucking day. That's what I think is genius about it, because people, when they try and talk about the modern world, I feel like it's so fucking direct. But the only time... too obvious. Yeah. Too agenda-driven. Everyone's got a fucking agenda. And this has no agenda other than saying how it is. No, he's Which he's saying on this album, we live in a fucking dystopia. Yeah. We live in a dystopia, but we're able to fool ourselves because of the technology surrounding us. Yes. Very uh, Matrix-y. Yeah. You know, it gives you Matrix vibes, kind of. I could see, hey, you know what? New Matrix coming out? Arctic Monkeys. Let's see them do a song or something on the soundtrack. They, they would that be a good fits, fit for man. it. The fucking sound that comes from this album. What's up, Millhouse? What's up? You don't like that suggestion? No, I like it. I see you giving little looks over there. We got Millhouse, our uh, our tech guy. I don't think our he's, producer. You not a fan of the uh, Arctic Monkeys working on the Matrix? Yeah, I love 
right. He's not being he's honest. He's scared, dude. He's so scared. He's scared right he's now. Fucking frightened. Could have had a controversial opinion, but you're too scared. Are you on hinge right now? Yeah. Look at this, dude. We're talking about life. We're talking about the world. We're talking about the way it is. And this guy's just over here. Fli- We're literally talking about what he's doing yeah, right yeah. now. Does she look you like are fun? part of the problem. <laughs> Fucking call this guy out. All right. So what else you got to say about that phone? So uh, just in general, one thing I thought was interesting was the start of the song. It's him writing about writing again. I want an yeah. interesting synonym to, this, to describe the thing that you say we're all grandfathered in. Yeah. And it, I think, it, again, it was like he was suffering from writer's block and just trying to get something out. Yeah. This whole album is like a good case for uh, the fact that writer's block can actually like make you come up with some pretty inspired ideas. Yeah. You know? Because almost every song on this album feels like an artist going through writer's block. Yeah. Because he's just being, on, again, he's breaking the fourth wall. He's being very honest about, sometimes he's like, this is what I want to say. I don't know if I can say it, so I'm yeah. just going to tell you what I want to say instead. <laughs> it might end up too clever for its own good. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and uh, one thing I thought was interesting, I've recognized the glow of your low, low beams numerous times. I'll be by the bat phone if you need to get a hold, and it's just love that. always available. Mm-hmm. We're always available now. Yeah, there's no... I mean, this is like an obvious point to make, but... That's something that's weird. We belong to we belong to a weird generation. I'm 27, you're 28. So, we have had the internet in our lives since childhood, but there was definitely a switch at some point because the internet always existed, but we still have those memories of like you didn't just go on the computer and go on the internet. No. I mean, I remember having dial up yeah. If I had to do homework on the internet, it was like three fucking hours just listening to this thing like, grr, grr, people playing fucking Sims. It was a different time. Like, you didn't want to be on a computer. You wanted to be outside doing shit, yeah. you know? And so we've kind of seen that change. Like, we actually remember a time where you could be unavailable. Well, we're the first fucking generation who's ever dealt with this. And well, we I would grew say, up with that. I would say the generation after us. Because if I even talk to people who are just two or three years younger than me, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? We've we're, always had cell phones. We're, we're like Brooks in, uh, in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> where he says, I saw, I saw an automobile when I was, when I was, now they're once. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's what I sound like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, I remember fuck. I mean, I didn't have a phone till I was, I was in junior high, I think. Yeah, but if you even think about our parents, though, they, they didn't have fucking phones. No, yeah, they, it's worse for them. And um, I was going to say this whole thing about being available all the time. It drives me nuts because I do remember a time where if I wanted to hang out with Taylor, I had to go to your fucking house. Yeah. Or I had to call on a landline and be like, yeah. is Taylor there? <laughs> yeah, we used to call each other on like, landlines. I kind of fucking miss that. I kind of fucking miss being able to be unavailable. It's impossible now. You cannot be on your own, ever. Well, getting getting into the next song, The Ultra Cheese, the, the final song cheese. on the album, I feel like that it references mm-hmm. that exact thing. Get freaked out by a knock on the door when you haven't been expecting someone. Right. Didn't that used to be part of the fun? And I thought that that was true too. And that's kind of talking about that change of 
now with having to be available all the time and be connected to everything, who the fuck does anyone below the age of 30, no matter who you talk to, I don't care if they're man, woman, dinosaur, black, white, purple, red, every fucking one of them today will go, ah, I have anxiety. It's social anxiety. Everybody has anxiety now. Everybody. It used to be anxiety was a pretty fucking serious thing. It's like people getting like panic attacks and they have to be medicated. Now everyone has Everybody's anxiety. on fucking Xanax, dude. Everyone's an introvert. We have literally crossed the threshold where now everyone's an introvert. And now, like, if you had posted, if you had said some of the shit that gets posted today when we were kids before the fucking internet... Back in the fucking dial-up days where fucking real men were born. You hear me, Milhouse. I see him. He's, he's got some controversial opinion in his head he's not going to share. If you came up during those days, can you imagine back then some of these memes we see about being an introvert or about like, oh, you know, I saw one today. It was like, uh, I think it was Shrek from the movies. He was looking like miserable and it was like when you made plans to go out and now it's close to the time to go out. If you had said that shit when we were kids, someone would have fucking punched you. They would have been like, you're weird. Why are you talking about this? Well, why do you think that is? Why do you think there's been this huge cultural shift that people have become that way now? Because as human beings, we're not... Actually, I won't say that. I was going to say we're not built for this much technology and this much advancement so fast and being this connected. But... Maybe we're also just in a transitionary time where there's so much available. Our brains have not adapted to it yet. I would agree with that. So, but it is weird to me to meet people. And I'm not saying I'm any fucking different. You know what I mean? I, I hate people. I have social anxiety. If I hear someone knock at my fucking door, when I was a kid, it would have been like, who's that? Now I'm like, oh, someone's here to kill me. I'm about to die. You know what I mean? If I see a fucking like, Amazon package coming. I'm like hiding in my own fucking apartment. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's very true. I I delivered groceries uh, for a little while, mm-hmm. and it was very strange that I would deliver them. Everybody wanted them just delivered to their door, and they, it wanted to be like I didn't even fucking exist. I'm one of those people. I've had gro- I've literally I have had groceries delivered, and I'll see that they're delivered, and I'll go to my door. And I'll look for the delivery person and I'll be like, have they left yet? <laughs> it's like a glory hole delivery. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just weird. It's, it's weird. But that's what he's talking about. And uh, it is weird just being available all the fucking time. You know what I mean? The opening lyrics to that song, too, still got pictures of friends on the wall. I suppose we aren't really friends anymore. Yes. What the fuck do you think that means? So... Because I thought, too, well, let me hit you with this before you say that. I thought, too, that this song was a little bit about, it seemed like a relationship ending. I could be off base on that, but that was a vibe I got. Yeah, I I got that vibe, too. Um, But even the next lyrics are after that. Maybe I shouldn't have ever really called that thing friendly at all. That's dark. So I think the wall thing, reference to maybe Facebook. Mm, interesting. You have pictures of people that you maybe met once on your wall. Yeah. You all out at a bar drinking or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, I think that's that's something depressing too in that even though we're this fucking connected, I can see what everyone's doing 
at every fucking moment of the day. I know what the fuck people eat for some weird fucking reason. I know what other people eat, but I don't remember what I have to eat. You know what I mean? So to me, it's uh, he's he's talking about this same thing, which is like maybe technology has destroyed friendship too, real friendship. Yeah. Because most people you I, – I mean I can tell you with my job, I've literally worked with people that I have never seen. I've never, if you talk to them, they'll be like, oh yeah, I know that person. Cause they might talk to me through email or whatever, but I don't fucking know those it's people. It's a level removed. Yeah. Especially with, uh, with like all the dating apps and everything like that. You've already yeah. started talking to someone before you know what they're like face to face. And that's fucking weird. So they only show you what they want you to see. And that's scary. Again, that shit that when we were kids, that's serial killer. Now it's like, well, of course you talk to someone before you meet them. Like, maybe we just sound, do I sound like an old man? Yeah. Fuck. All right. Some of my favorite lyrics uh, on this whole album are in this song. There's some good ones. Perhaps it's time that you went for a walk dressed like a fictional character from a place they called America in the golden age. Mm. And that, I think, is in reference to his former self, you know, AM, the huge success, all that shit. Mm-hmm. And then the lyrics after that, th- these actually might be my favorite lyrics. Trust the politics to come along when you were just trying to orbit the sun. When you were just about to be kind to someone because you had the chance. Mm-hmm. And again, that could be him talking about the music business, his own life, personally. You politics know, that, in general that basically politics and not even I, I won't even say politics is in like what we see as politics just politics in general of, of life of human interaction that they're always going to come in and they're always going to infect what you're doing yeah again very fucking depressing uh there was a there was a lyric i like to i think it was one of the last lyrics and this was part of why i was like it kind of sounds like a guy who's just out of a relationship and he's looking at all this shit and he's just like it's all bullshit he says, uh, I've done some things that I shouldn't have done, but I haven't stopped loving you once. I think that was one of the last lyrics. Mm-hmm. Well, what I took that as, because the line before that is, oh, the dawn, stop, the dawn won't stop weighing a ton. Yeah. And then I've done some things I shouldn't have done, but I haven't stopped loving you once. I think that's him talking about his career, dude. Because... At the start of their career, they were huge. And there was all this hype and all these expectations around him. And it could also be taken as the beginning of a relationship, that honeymoon period. So you think he's talking about music? I think so, that? yeah. I think I think that's what this song is, is in reference to. Because mm. he even has a, a lyric where he's talking about um, writing, you know, on a piano... And he'll never reveal what that song was because it's the ultra cheese. Which the ultra cheese also makes you think of the moon. Mm-hmm. And that's the last song on the album. It is. But to rewind for one second, I've still got pictures of friends on the wall. I might look as if I'm deep in thought. But the oh, truth yeah. is I'm probably not if I ever was. Yeah. And again, calling himself out. That's one of the best parts of this album is the fact that because again, if, if you're going to do an album like this that's talking so negatively about people and about the world and about the music business, 
if you don't call yourself out, you look like an arrogant asshole. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same way that like, uh, like Ricky Gervais, for instance, comedian, shits on everything. He has to be able to shit on himself too. Yes. Otherwise, you're just an asshole. You yeah. I mean? Otherwise, this does not work. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's it's almost like if he's going to be talking about flaws of everything, you also talk you about have that, to, yeah. to talk about flaws within yourself. And that's why uh, we talked about Bukowski being an influence. Again, that's what made Bukowski successful. He could call everything out and be like, everything is bullshit. You are all bullshit. But he had to call himself out too. Otherwise, it's not art. It's just some fucking man ranting. What do you got? Hit me. I can see that sparkle in your eyes. Sweetie. So there's a B side to this album. That that's the yes. album. Yeah. Ultra Cheese is the last song yep. on there. But there's a B side called Anyways. Which it, so you sent me this. You said, "Hey, this is a B side." Was this the only other? This was the only other B side. Okay. There might have been like one or two more of like them covering a song live or something oh, like that. Okay, okay, okay. But this is the only one that was like officially released mm-hmm. as as a B side. What do you think the song is about? This again, I went to, again, I, I thought of a relationship again. It sounded like a period after a relationship where you either run into that person or you run into people who may have been in your life at that time. I will say this. I like this song. I'm glad it wasn't on the album. I don't think it fits with the rest of the album. How so? Because the rest of the album, it tells, again, I talked about it progressing and it got more and more ambiguous. It's a good song and it talks about some of the same stuff, but I don't know where it would have fit on the album. I would agree with that. Um, To me, this song, I think just like decoding the lyrics, Mm -hmm. it's about being at like a holiday party. That's what I was picturing. Like and you see people you haven't talked to in a long time. Yeah, and, and that's where that anyways comes from. You're just filling conversation. You're filling the air because each each kind of verse ends with um, just another race to anyways. Yeah, which anyways, oh, so interestingly good. enough, I don't think that's proper English. I think it's just supposed to be anyway. Yeah, but people say anyways. People say anyways. If you've had these awkward conversations, mm-hmm. you've said anyways. I've said anyways a few times in my life. <laughs> I think uh, my my favorite lyric on this song is nosebleeds from epiphanies I took full in the face. Ooh, say that one again. Nosebleeds from epiphanies I took full in the face. Because oh, I think this song is all just, about oversharing. Yeah. When you're like, you're in at these parties with everybody. Yeah. You're doing coke or whatever. I, like, that's what it made me think of. Yeah. It's just like schmoozy Hollywood party. Mm-hmm. With people he doesn't really want to talk to. Talking yeah. about their families, talking about their lives, and it just trails off anyways. Well, it's it's interesting because I feel like uh, a lot of this stuff, I, this is because I'm, I don't know a ton about Arctic Monkeys and I, I, I'm not a musician. So a lot of them I see as very like personal and not wrapped up in the music business. But it's interesting when you say that because that could be it too, that he's at this, you know, fucking fancy party and he doesn't want to be there. To me, it was, I was hearing a guy talk about basically and ma- you know what maybe this is why this is a good b-side this is a good song to listen to when it's all said and done because this feels like he's out of that solitude yes and this is his first big you know uh reintroduction to society 
you know? Interesting. Well, what's what's funny about Arctic Monkeys, I would say in their B-sides, because they always usually record their B-sides like on the road or after that. I, I think this one was probably recorded at his house. Mm-hmm. But usually you can kind of see where they're going next. And I think, yeah, it, the reason that it wasn't on the album was due to that isolation. And this is like an introduction or a reintroduction to himself. Mm-hmm. And the lyric is, yeah, I'm behind my movie camera. I've got my megaphone. You can call me Alexander. It's nice to meet you all. Which is breaking <laughs> the fourth wall again. Yeah. And it, it, again, it's that he's back in society, but there's still that detachment. You know, he's looking at everything through a filter. Devising methods to both have and eat your cake. Just like the ones Mother Nature used to bake. What do you think that means? Say that again. Let me hear that again. Devising methods to both have and eat your cake. Just like the ones Mother Nature used to bake. I don't know about the Mother Nature part. But again, it sounds like him... Again, he's being reintroduced to society and he's just done all this, all these lyrics about how bullshit the world is, but no matter how bullshit the world is, he's still going to play the game. He knows he's still going to try to have his cake and eat it too, because that's what the fuck we're all trying to do. Even if we recognize the journey is bullshit, we're just, we're like dogs with a fucking bone, you know? Dude, I think have your cake and eat it too is such a bullshit phrase because anytime... I've never understood it. You you have cake. You're going to eat it. Yeah, I've, I wonder what the uh, what the story behind have your cake and eat it too is because I, I never understood that. Because if you have the cake, you're going to eat it. Yeah. And if you eat the cake, you have to have it. Yeah. I don't get it. I That's some it. boomer shit. Have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> yeah. That's some boomer shit Probably right there. So... <laughs> so this album, tell me now that we've talked about it, why does this inspire you? Why is this the thing we had to talk about? It's the thing I had to talk about because I think it's just so radically weird from the rest of their shit. The stuff he's talking about, I feel like it's really current. And I just feel like it's him hitting his 10,000 hours. Hmm, and it's also their second album where they really tried to use the studio as an instrument. And I really feel like they got into like making a studio album. Mm -hmm. I saw them live on this tour. And the funny thing about their whole stage setup, it, it it was kind of like a Vegas show. There was a like tapestry behind them and they had like stage lighting, you know, like stairs and shit. It looked like it was, it was supposed to be on like a Vegas stage or something. Um, And I think that's in reference to them being like Alex Turner sees they, they made this huge album before this and it's almost like him saying up we're a washed up lounge act and people are just going to want to hear oh, that hits now. Interesting. interesting so that adds to another whole layer of does, this yeah. whole thing I like that yeah and so you saw them live I saw them live awesome. it, was a, it was a great show they performed this album they performed um, some of the songs from it they didn't do all of them Okay. And they played some of their older songs, but they changed them up a little bit because they really refuse to play songs from their first two albums now. Yeah. Because he says it feels like they're a, like covering the music as opposed to playing. It doesn't oh, feel as authentic. Interesting. Because I've heard musicians say they don't want to play certain songs 
like what is it radiohead with creep or something like they won't play that that's but because I, they're cunts though radiohead they are a bunch of cunts plus they would have to you know what the story but they are is? talented cunts they, they are talented <laughs> but you know what the story is about that song i don't they stole that song and they had to share songwriting credit on it so oh so every that's fucking why. time they have to play it they have to pay someone they have to pay oh. albert hammond senior who is the father of uh, albert hammond jr from the strokes dirty they are so, cunts, though. Yeah. That's that's what my opinion yeah. is of why they won't play Creep. I, I never like musicians when they're like, oh, I don't want to play this anymore. But I like his explanation for that, that it feels like you're covering something. Yeah. That's very bizarre. That's got to be such a bizarre feeling. Well, you, you know, I mean, they, they started out when they were fucking 17, 18, and they were Crazy. a massive band around the world when Crazy. that happened. Yeah. And now they're in their 30s, and they're much more refined. The ideas are more refined in mm-hmm. what they're doing. And a lot of those early songs are about youth. Like their their first album is him. It's very observational in the same way. There's a lot of threads going between tranquility bass and whatever people say I'm not. That's or whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not. Mm. And it's him really talking shit a lot about his own town and the rock culture and London and shit like that. Because they're from a town in uh, northern England mm-hmm. called Sheffield. So, uh, another reason I love this album, it's their weirdest album, but their second weirdest album is my favorite album, uh, of theirs. Uh, one of my favorite albums of theirs as well called Humbug, which it's their third album. They recorded it with, uh, Josh from Queens of the Stone Age. He produced him and it sounds like he just gave him fucking mushrooms. Yeah. So I feel like anytime they have weird ideas and they just go out in left field and see where it takes them, they get really interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like this album is. It was a weird album, man. And it was, uh, I definitely, it's a dark album. It's a it's very, very divisive dark, album. But uh, people love it or hate it. I love it. I, and I, I, rec- I recommend people listening to it, especially right now with everything going on. It's a great album. Good pick. Any final thoughts? Go check it out. Go listen to it. Also, go listen to my song, Gina, Gina, Gina. Yes. It's by uh, The Poptimist. You can find it on any, uh, any all the social medias, anywhere we're shit streaming. Yeah. And if we're whoring ourselves out, go buy my fucking book. Nye. N-I-G-H. You bastards. It's on Amazon. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.